Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to ride the hype train, and maybe the anti-hype train, but before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? <laughs> on this podcast, we like to talk about games and movies and television and anime, lots of things over the and books. time. Books, yeah, exactly. Manga. Anyway, um, the, <laughs> the very first episode of the podcast we ever did was the hype train episode. Where we all got on our, you know, we were we were pulling into the station for the new the new releases of then what 2015 was it? Um, I guess this is the third year anniversary podcast, so yeah, it would be uh, it'd be 2015. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the hype train is just all of the stuff that's coming out that we are hyped for. Hey, free marketing, good job. Um. <laughs> um, and maybe a little bit anti hype for because uh, I think we're going to start out this cast with a discussion of. Uh, Fallout 76, since we started out the uh, first type train, or since first type train, at least to my memory, centered a lot around uh, Fallout, Fallout 4. Fallout 4. Yeah, and this is the, uh, you know, son, grandson of that game in some way. <laughs> Don't talk to me or my son ever again, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that uh, not only do we fall off of that hype train relatively quickly... Um, I think we, uh, like, there was a, a couple weeks later we did the hype train starts to derail about how we were disappointed in Fallout 4. Yeah. And um, uh, I think you more than me. But uh, I also think that we're much substantially less hyped for uh, Fallout 76. Is is, is that uh, true for you? It's definitely yeah, true for me. I think of myself as not being hyped for Fallout 76. But I also think of myself as being a little bit um, uh, outside of the mainstream in a way. I don't I don't quite know what the mainstream opinion on Fallout 76 really is, but I have seen a lot of sort of like disillusionment on like Reddit and stuff like that where people are like, "Oh, this is just a cash in, you know, or whatever," right? Like, and I can definitely actually empathize with people who, you know, really appreciate that games like Fallout 4 are these big open world RPGs and we don't get as many of those. Um, as we used to, um, like in the early 2000s, right, I feel like we were, we had tons of these kinds of games, um, but now we're looking at, you know, I don't know, we're looking at games like Black Ops or whatever, you're like, or whatever it is, right, where, um, there's a big shift away from that kind of single player content into, um, you know, like dedicated, like multiplayer sorts of content. So I, uh, so I think the proper thing to do is to say, okay. Here is something that is using the Fallout 4 engine and kind of skin, right, and applying it to a different genre of game. And so you're taking, um, you know, you're taking that that sort of like Fallout 4 RPG stuff and you are making something that is more akin to Fortnite or PUBG, which without necessarily being, you know, um, a Battle Royale game, right, Um but it is it is still you know moving away from from that RPG and it deserves to kind of like get its own judgment on its own merits. So yeah, from that than... yeah, so from that perspective, I think I'm up on Fallout seventy six. Uh, but otherwise, I have very little intention to play that game. Yeah, I I feel like I'm similar to you. Um, just to comment on, on, on what you said about the single player open world games, I think a lot of those have been replaced by kind of. Uh, what I alluded to last week, which is like, um, you know, open world single player games with towers that you do collectibles in. Um, yeah, 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 definitely. Um, the, the, the UB tower type games. Um, um, and you know, I, I do think we we have a dearth of kind of the the, the classic RPGs in in, in that sense. Um, 
Uh, I also see this as coming from, like, the same kind of roots as you suggested for, for like, the Battle Royale games, and I think that, that root is in kind of, like, these open-world survival games, right? The the DayZ um, mod for Arma, the DayZ game for right. uh, uh, Steam, um, and, and things in that, that genre. Even, like, Minecraft has some of that, like, same DNA in it. Um, yeah. Uh, and so I do think it, it deserves to be judged on its own merits. And I, I kind of go back and forth. Like, I feel like... This like if, if if this game had come out when Fallout Seven, well Fallout Four was supposed to come out, I would have been pre order on this, right? Like it, like I think it looks really cool, but I have big reservations about the execution, and so I'm probably going. Especially, um, the one thing that that I think is is not great is um, uh, pre order. One of the pre order bonuses is you get early access, and that all rolls into your regular game, right? You get to just play the game oh. like two or three days earlier. Um, I didn't actually know that. That kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, and uh, the other thing is, uh, there, there's like, so the thing I am, it's weird that I, to focus on this in particular, but I, I think it, I think it's very relevant just considering the type of game it's supposed to be. Um, is you're doing a lot of anti kind of griefing stuff, which I understand why you want to do, but I feel like part of the reason you want to play this game is for that kind of like griefing experience. As, as dumb as that sounds, right? Like you, yeah. you, you want kind of that rawness and. At the very least, I'm surprised they don't have like basically an option to like turn on hardcore mode or something like something you know, or even something just like war mode, like in yeah, yeah. WoW, you know, where yeah, the yeah. rules are harsher. Yeah, and um, I think that that actually turned a lot of people off of the game because I, I think I think part of the core fantasy of the Fallout universe is kind of like you know either being a bastard or being the guy that stands up, you know, like. I feel like people want to be the Raiders at some level. Yeah, um, no, I, I super feel that. And I think that in a certain sense, I kind of wished, you know, like I like a version of Fallout 76 that plays into that a little bit more. In the same way that like, you know, how, how, what's a good way to put this? Okay, so this is, I, we're, we're going to have to take a walk around the block for this metaphor. Okay. It's, it's choice. Okay, so imagine Total War Warhammer 2, right? But imagine a version of Total War Warhammer 2 where all of the flag factions are played by player characters, right? So it's not just like a co-op game or whatever, right? But it is a truly, right, all of the factions on the more, like, outside of the impracticality of it, right? Right. If I'm playing Greenskins, right, I am encouraged to raid, and I'm encouraged to sack and pillage settlements and raise them to the ground or whatever, because, like, I am not a success, because the mechanics of the game are such that I am not a successful, um, like, I'm not a successful faction of the greenskins if I'm not taking advantage of those because the greenskins get huge benefits to raiding, right? And they need to keep their bar, their, like, fight bar up or whatever, right? And I think in a certain sense Fallout 76 wants something similar, right? Which is that, like, you want certain kinds of gameplay that do encourage you to behave a little less than um we might say is Civilly. proper yeah yeah it's and it's definitely not civil right like yeah um and so like hypoth i mean i don't know if they, they you know they probably don't have like a factions thing or anything like that right like haven't they said that there's not um there aren't like npcs or whatever and that's kind of fine right but the idea that there are certain things that you can do in order to screw up all the like screw over other players because somebody wants to essentially larp as 
like the local raider group that just attacks everybody right like why not why would you not have that in your game that sounds great to me yeah and, and you know like, like i said i i i think there's if you don't want to deal with that of course having the ability to say like please no i would just kind of like to play my my uh fallout minecraft in my little corner um i think that's fine too yeah um, i think i'm probably just gonna sit back and see what people say about it um, and maybe get into it later. Yeah, um, I am excited to see what people say about it. I will say yeah. the people at my work are pretty hyped about it, and they talk about, um, you know, like it is the it is kind of the um, the gravitational force this winter that all of their decisions are orbiting around, right? Like, ooh, will I have time for Red Dead? You know, can I beat Red Dead Two before Fallout comes out, etc. Sort of stuff. So, yeah, no, like yeah. On, on paper, this is a game that I should be like creaming my pants for yeah um and and it's and i'm not and um i don't know so something that goes along with this is is very tangential but i think it's worth exploring is i think this is the first game that you can't get through steam you have to use the bethesda storefront for it oh gross no way wow that sucks yeah i mean it's obviously like you see a bunch of companies do it, especially like kind of like the the bigger companies that are that you know have these more these publishing arms um trying to recapture i think it's like 30 percent that steam takes so i can't say i blame them from like a business angle but it's just like i think it's another barrier yeah i i feel like i, I mean even like, ubisoft ha- like ubisoft has its own storefront but they still sell everything through steam yeah yeah because you know like it's just such a huge piece of the market share like boy did the chance that i buy fallout 76 just fall off a fucking cliff right because like yeah. if fallout 76 isn't a game that i'm going to buy up front for 60 dollars, and i do have to say that Man, $60 is a tough, like, hurdle to jump, I think, um, for a game like that. But it also means that it's not going to, like, pop up on my, like, Steam sale, you know, six months down the line. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Like, 30% off or whatever. And I'm like, oh, you know, hey, you know, maybe I'll, I'll buy Fallout 76, play it for 40 bucks, right? Like, I know some other people have gotten into it in the same way that I've b- bought games like borderlands or you know like whatever else yeah, right yeah. um that uh that that i only picked up kind of like later in its life cycle because i saw it on steam or whatever so wow that is that is risky capital r risky yeah and i feel like i feel like if they're gonna take the, the chance it's gonna be with um it's gonna be with a fallout title right yeah. I, I feel like this is like their, their best option right because it's a big enough title that it will convince people to do it but it's also like far enough off the main like like it's a little bit off the beaten path so that if it fails miserably they can put like you know uh elder scrolls 6 back on the steam store Um, i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if they they delayed it by a bit where it's like okay for the first three months of this thing's life cycle you can only buy it through the bethesda store so you get as much of that kind of like upfront cash in as possible and then you back you back put it in onto steam as a platform and give everybody a code or something like that that puts it in their steam library um that wouldn't that would not that would not entirely surprise me yeah um huh it's interesting because like i don't know i think both you and me don't really feel and like i feel like we both feel this kind of way about like you know like uh uh the stuff like uh the uh like origin or um i guess the ub launcher is the the only other good thing i can say about is like it feels kind of weird and like why would i bother um but we don't really have a lot of problem with 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 the battle net launcher 
Um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. I love the Battle.net, like, launcher and system, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. I like being able to kind of, like, see and interact with people across game types, right? Where, like, I'm typing to people who are typing back to me from Heroes of the Storm or something along those kinds of lines. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like Battle.net is so... It, it was never on Steam. They've never done anything with Steam. So it has kind of... And, and it's been around for, you know, 10 years at this point. Yeah, um, yeah. So I feel like it is kind of like the perfect alternative in a lot of ways uh, to kind of what Steam has ended up being. And, and you know, I don't have a problem <laughs> with, with, like, the, the good old games Galaxy um, uh, either, just because it's kind of like, it, it's, it's like a pure competitor to Steam, right? It's not like yeah. an exclusive platform. It's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, that, I also don't mind things that a... just pop over Steam codes. I, I buy Steam codes off of Humble Bundle sometimes, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. So I think, I think being able to use Steam codes in order to have it be your platform form of choice, but not necessarily, you know, you're getting everything through there is kind of fine. And I also think that at the end of the day, Valve doesn't really mind that because I am still buying a whole bunch of shit off of Steam, right? Uh, yeah, plenty yeah. of stuff that I'm not, you know, that I'm not making use of, right? Like Vermintide 2 or whatever else. Um, anyway, yeah. so as far as continuing the hype train... I think this is going to be the most obvious hype that I am hyped by. Um, but uh, did I? Did you? Have you seen? Have you seen the trailer for uh, Curse of the Vampire Coast? Yeah, yeah. No, it looks okay. really cool. So, Curse of the Vampire Coast for everybody who doesn't know is the new campaign pack um, for Total War Warhammer Two. It's coming out in about a month. Um, it is <laughs> zombie pirates. You know. <laughs> Oh man, there's really not else. There's not a lot else to say about it besides it is a bunch of vampires who decided to become fucking pirates. And uh, <laughs> is, obviously, is that, like Total a thing, War... is that a thing in the lore? Like, is yes. there like a... So interestingly enough, a lot of this stuff in the lore is like goofs in a lot of ways, right? Um, they have they have introduced lore to the Warhammer universe, right? Like Warhammer is very centered around the old world and the Empire and stuff like that, right? Um, but with the introduction of dark elves, high elves, right? Like the lizardmen, kind of over on the you know like that side of the world, in order to make it not so homogenous, where you just kind of go, oh well, Lustria is just all lizardmen, right? Uh, they they had like a bunch of small stuff in there just to kind of like break up the monotony and the vampire coast is kind of like the the breakout group of that another another version of this by the way are a group of norska the viking raiders who are in just in lustria they like sailed to lustria and decided to just hang out there um and they're also represented in total war um but anyway so the idea is um yeah, so it, it, it was basically a group of, uh, it's like a group of vampires that left Sil Sylvania and resettled, um, and then the, the head vampire has these things called black skulls that he, like, puts some of his power in and he can hand it off to his captains, and they can, like, become, you know, they can, like, command these, like, undead, um, these undead, like, pirate fleets or whatever, but, uh, th so... The the lore of it is is interesting, but I'm also really excited to see these kinds of mechanics. Um, I have been perpetually impressed with how the 
creative assembly team introduce new factions over time um the very first faction the beastmen was pretty boring right and then they went through or i mean even the very very first faction is warriors of chaos right um but they went through and they kept kind of adding factions and over time they got better and better at it right you know um the the wood elves are a very tall race where they can't they can't settle they can settle any land outside of their forest but they can only settle it at the very basic bottom tier so you have to build a very tall empire in your in Athaloran in order to um, you know be successful or whatever. Um, and then over time, you know, you have like Skaven and the Skaven corruption that hurts both you and your enemies or whatever. Um, and up until the Tomb Kings, who don't pay recruitment, right? You you have to spread out and build these huge, crazy pyramids in order to like make your army the best that it very that it very much can be. And so I think that uh, the idea of tooling around in a big ass pirate ship and raiding and sacking and pillaging with my you know giant hermit crab siege monsters is just like the coolest idea that both from a flavor perspective and from a mechanics perspective i'm really excited to see what they do yeah no it's it, it sounds it sounds great I, I might even check it out even though i don't play the game as nearly as much as you do yeah i feel like it'll be it'll be uh the, so the other cool part about it is that they have four um so they have four different legendary lords, right? Four legendary lords always come with each of the different um, groups. And the four legendary lords are all really different this time around, which I like a lot. Um, you know, the base, the, the core guy is named Luther Harkon, and his whole thing is that he's, like, cursed um, because he was, a, he was a wizard, but then, like, the winds of magic got, like, ripped from him, and it, like, basically, uh, like, cursed him and it like ripped his mind in half or whatever and so his whole thing is about like trying to get rid of this curse and put his mind back together um noctilus is a is a is a vampire lord who teleported himself to like this this place called the galleon's graveyard where there are all of these ships um that like it's like a shipwreck cove kind of place or whatever and so he raises these sunken warships with vampire crews and goes out and like terrorizes places and wants to conquer and be right like you know this admiral or whatever um one of them is a human where she is like a human and she's rumored to be the daughter of the sea god manan or whatever but she has one of luther harkon's black skulls i think which allows her to you know control the vampire uh, control like vampire crews or whatever but she's just like a regular old fucking like sack and pillaging pirate who just wants like gold and shit and then the last one is an op a court singer from bretonia who sank beneath the waves and need and then like became a siren like an undead ghost siren or whatever and so she leads a faction of drowned soldiers and sailors and can summon like ghost bretonian knights and stuff like that and just like all of those things are so much more different compared to the way that i might view right like what's the what's the difference between you know i don't know the uh the carl and whoever else is in the yeah carl franz and and balthazar gelt or whatever right um, so I think, I think if I, I've said this on the cast before, but I just want to reiterate this stance. I think if you want to look at DLC done right, you want to look at creative assembly and, and 
Total War, right? This is also coming with a free, um, with free LC, all of their DLC uh, packs come with baseline free LC packs, probably a Lord um, or a unit or some regiments of renown or something kind of along those lines. Um, it's coming with a free upgrade of like a, essentially a rework of the old vampire counts um, faction from Total War Warhammer 1. So, uh, you know... I don't know. I feel like I feel like these guys really have their their heads on their shoulders, and I will I will grant all the free marketing that I possibly can. Yeah. Well, um, I think I'm just gonna kind of continue on this epic grand strategy expansion hype train because Holy oh, Fury boy. comes out on November 13th. New piece of CK two. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, you've been DLC. playing a lot of CK two. Yeah, like. This might be the only time I buy the DLC on release, just because we're playing it so much. Mm-hmm. Although that might fall off soon, but you know, well, there's enough time to figure out if that's going to be the case. We actually tried playing. Uh, uh, there's like a mod for CK2 called like Geheimnichtalik or something like that. It's it's a Warhammer <laughs> mod. Okay. Um, um, and it actually kind of maps pretty well. We played Greenskins for like about 15 minutes before it crashed on all of us. Um, but they basically play like pagans. But um. Uh, that's the thing I'm kind of excited about for Holy Fury, um, is one there's you know it also gets a lot of uh, uh, like free stuff for the base game with it right like um, this is a criticism you hear about Paradox right like if you bought all of CK2 at full price it'd be like probably close to a thousand dollars at this point yeah but a lot of it's um, a lot of it's uh, like just you know, cosmetic right like you don't have to get the unit packs. Um, and uh, it goes on sale all the time for, like, deep, deep discounts. So I don't think it's too bad. Uh, hell, like, six months ago, this is why we're playing it now. It's because, like, six months ago, if you downloaded it, you got the thing for free. Um, also, when you're playing multiplayer, only one person has to have all the DLC, right? Like, I usually run yeah. out games because I have uh, nearly everything. Um, and everybody can play in it, which I think is awesome. That's the thing they didn't have to do, and it's uh, it's great. Um, multiplayer isn't the greatest. There's some desyncing issues, but, uh, you know... Uh, kudos to them for, uh, for for that kind of stuff. And so Holy Fury gives more options to pagans who reform instead of convert, which I think is really cool. Uh, we've played a couple of pagan games, and my move usually, uh, because I like being weird, is to like marry somebody from one of the Eastern faiths, convert, and then turn into a merchant republic. Um uh, kind of do that. Uh, what's 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 the uh, like the Seven Seas uh, Nordic group? Oh yeah 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 sure yeah. sure sure. Like do do that kind of thing. But it's usually like like the last game we played, I converted to Islam and did that. And so uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, I mean, it's it's funny because in Europa Universalis, it's the opposite. If you ever play one of the other um, like research group types, you always want to westernize. Uh, because it gives you huge bonuses to your science, which, to be honest, I always felt was a little bit racist, and then they ended up getting rid of that because it was just not a very great mechanic. It didn't really have anything to do with racism or anything like that. But yeah, like, so if you if you started a game as, like, you know, Apache or the Aztecs or even, like, is, is like like, the Ottomans or something like that, you were always kind of incentivized to end up westernizing... Um, because Western, uh, like the Western research group is the quick, like gives you a, the biggest bonus you can get to your research. Mm. Yeah. And, um, you know, to be fair, like CK2 has that basically if you're a pagan, you're incentivized to either 
go feudal or go merchant republic um you know do something just because um and that's not like actually a hard mechanic it's just that um the way inherit like because the game actually weirdly revolves around inheritance loss, um, you need to be able to get yourself uh, an inheritance structure where you don't lose everything to your kids. Mm. Um, um, you know, that's where you have things like, well, I, like uh, more than once, X has been to, you know, had said to us, like, can you guys, like, plot to kill my son? Like, the, the bad son. That <laughs> <Yeah. way." laughs> oh, my God. I super understand that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I expect much more of that. Um, I'm not super deep on the details about Holy Fury, but I'm, I'm just always excited for more, right? Like, yeah. more more ways to play and, and more, more ways to do stuff like that. Um, I figured I'd, I'd throw that in there on top of your uh, your uh, uh, hype for... Uh, yeah, I mean, to uh, keep this to keep this rolling just inside of the Paradox House, this is what I expected you to say. Uh, it's Impure to Rome, right, which I know I nothing about. Uh, we have no information. There's nothing to say about it uh, besides the fact that Paradox is a great studio. They've been making great grand strategy games for a long time. And I think them making a Rome grand strategy game is awesome and I'm excited to see it. We don't, I, I like, I want to say more stuff about it, but I don't have any more stuff to say because so, I don't so know I've, what else is, uh, you know. I've, I've got a little because I've been vaguely following the developer diaries, not like super hardcore. Oh, okay. Um, um, but the thing that sh stuck out, like, there's a lot of, like, nitty-gritty stuff in there that I don't think is good to get into because I don't even really understand it. It's like, and this is how slave pops work. And yeah, I, I like, always, okay. I, I, even as somebody who has, like, an extremely thorough understanding of Europa Universalis, and even, like, like you know, Stellaris or whatever, I find those dev diaries to be tough to parse. Yeah. Um, but the one thing I do want to talk about is... Um, Something, again, that friend of the cast X was talking about, it's like, oh, it's only going to be, uh, w like, Europe, right? It it's going to be essentially, it looks like it's going to be essentially the same map as CK2 in terms of uh, uh, scope, but it looks like the scale is going to be a lot bigger. Like, one of the things they said was that, like, take the island of Sicily, um, instead of being, like, provinces as, like, the base unit, it's going to be cities, cities, or like, as the base region. Okay. And, like, um, Sicily in... I think CK2 is two or three. In EU4, it's two or three, but the scales or the scope is obviously a lot larger because you've got the whole world. Apparently, an Imperator is going to be like 38. Um, Jesus yeah. Christ. And, you know, maybe Whoa. it's a little bit. That is awesome, though. Yeah. Maybe it's going to be a little bit denser around Italy because, you know, it's, you know, it's Rome. Yeah. Um, uh, and maybe it won't be that dense on the, like, you know, in like Britannia or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, if, if, if you, like, the impression that I got from reading the dev diary, it's just going to be the scope of CK2, but the scale of, like, EU4, which I think would be really uh, Yeah, so, I have heard that, um, I have heard that specifically, that they said that the map for Imperator is about the same size as the, any of the other grand strategy maps that are the whole world, right? Um, so that makes a lot of sense, that's nuts, that's, that is nuts <laughs> yeah um yeah but i'm i'm like i'm i am very hyped for that game as well um but you're right there's not much more to say about it did, did you have another one you wanted to, to talk about uh just to finish off this grand strategy kick i am also obviously excited about uh total war three kingdoms um i am 
I, I'm really interested to see the difference between a historical mode and a romantics mode because that's the way that they've kind of been framing the whole game, right? Like, if you want to sort of follow the, like, almost like the wuja history, right? And, like, the, the idea being, like, almost a translation of the romance of the Three Kingdoms itself, you choose this romance mode, which has, um, uh, which kind of inherits certain things from, like, Warhammer, right? Where you have, like, individual actors on the battlefield who are powerful enough to take on an, all, an entire unit themselves or whatever. Um, whereas historical mode, it looks a lot more like Total War Warhammer, uh, or I'm sorry, Total War Rome or Total War Shogun, where okay yeah like your general gets a free unit of incredibly powerful guys right in rome it was praetorian guard who were like the strongest unit um or in shogun right it is like these master samurai um but uh they like the the unit themselves like the general themselves aren't um you know, incredibly, uh, like incredibly overpowered or whatever. And, but I also think the idea that like having not just a general, but like lieutenants on the battlefield and ordering around your lieutenants is kind of how you order around your units is a really interesting change. Um, and you know, this is something we talked a lot about during E3 because it came out during like a lot of information about it, uh, kind of came out during them. Uh, but yep, it's coming out in the first quarter of uh 2019 so i am obviously super excited to see what they come up with yeah i'm, I'm interested to see what happens with it because i think maybe the fear is um that one of the modes is obviously going to be like a second class citizen yeah um, well everybody uh, is saying that about the historical mode specifically because the historical mode hasn't been displayed they've displayed I think only stuff from the romantics mode so far, um, which I kind of understand to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think just kind of like in concept, it's hard for the historical mode to feel like anything but the romantic mode with like features stripped out. Um, like I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. know how you can add complexity. Like you can add complexity to historical mode that wouldn't also fit in with the romantic mode stuff. And so like why you wouldn't just have those mechanics in both modes, if that makes sense. Um, right. Uh, so I, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see though. I, you know, like we've said, the creative does good work. So if, if anybody can do it, I, I could say it's, uh, I, I would see it being them. Um, all right. I, I guess, uh, moving on a little bit, um, finally get out of the grand strategy genre. Yeah. For um, real something i'm super actually hyped for is uh, devil may cry 5 um and i i want to say that like maybe like 50 to 60 percent of this hype is because uh pull my devil trigger um uh, which is like the battle theme for nero is like stuck in my head constantly and it's such a trashy song but i love it so much um it's also got a great cover by uh, little v bills um you can check them both out on uh on uh, what's it called uh on on spotify um, or on YouTube, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, it's, uh, it's, I, I was never super into the character action game genre, but I started getting more and more into it, probably in large part due to, um, I watched a lot of Super Best Friends play. They're a great Let's Play channel. I highly encourage all of you to go watch them if you want to see goofy Let's Plays. Um, uh, uh, but, uh, like, I, I really started to get into it around uh, Wonderful one, 101 for the for the fucking Wii U, which is, like, the weirdest game. Uh, but um, uh, I realized that it kind of, like, feeds a lot into stuff I like, which is, like, 
it's not necessarily about getting it done, but it's about getting it done stylishly, right? Like, mm-hmm. you're not good at Devil May Cry if you finish the game. You're good at Devil May Cry if you get it done with S's, right? On, like, the hardest difficulty. And um, that kind of thing where you're encouraged to kind of take non-optimal strategies to kind of be more stylish, I think is I think is uh, is really neat. And uh, this game looks very stylish. It also looks a little bit more approachable than, say, um, you know, some of the older games, which were, were, were kind of very hardcore. Um, the, the, the fist mechanics look neat. Like uh, like I said, the, the the music mechanics look neat. My, my, <laughs> my favorite thing I saw was um, they, uh, like, right around the time, I think it was, like, Tokyo Game Show, or maybe it was the one in Germany. I, for, I forget which. Um, uh, they released some details about it. And, like, like the same day that they were that like the you know that everybody was was got their hands on it they released a statement or not a statement but it was like just kind of like a preview thing saying that like the better you play um uh like as your style rank goes up the more the music will fill in right to uh uh like you know you'll just kind of have the backing beat and then you, the the music will fill in and then at the top levels you'll get the vocals in right um and somebody tweeted you know uh Wait until we see the articles where the journalists say that uh, that you know the music the, the the music isn't as good in this game because they're not good enough to get the full chorus and then like like literally like an hour later the first article is dropped it's like oh, this game the the game seems to lack the musical punch of like the DMC Devil May Cry everybody laughed for a while which I just think is hilarious but uh, I'm definitely excited for for this kind of uh, um. The kind of goofiness in in these games. Um, I, I shared with you last week. I'll link it in the description. I'll, I'll write it down. Uh, the line from DMC one. Uh, I should have been the the one to turn your, your dark soul to light. Like, <laughs> yeah, I love that clip because uh, um, he's so like. I don't know how you can be. God, like I don't know how you can be out of tune when you're not singing. <laughs> yeah. But like that's what it sounds like. Yeah. It sounds like he's really off key. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, this, it's, it's 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 like just riddled with such goofiness. Like like I said, go wa- the super best friends are playing through most of the series. They skip they skip two because nobody likes two. Um, but I definitely recommend uh, going and watching. Apparently, in three is where um, Virgil uh, is introduced. Virgil is Dante's twin, and he's okay. like the 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 evil twin. Um, sure, he's 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 actually kind of like an archetype on his own. You call people the Virgil now. Um, but uh, apparently his vo- his voice is kind of iconic, but like the the voice actor has trouble replicating it because the reason he sounds the way he does is because the guy had a cold when he was re- recording all the lines, <laughs> so he's got this like really nasally sound that that that, that doesn't uh that isn't as consistent in the later games. I don't know. I'm I'm just super hyped for this game. It looks really stylish. It looks really pretty, and it, it sounds really good. So, um, that's that's uh, like in March. Wow. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, so outside of this fear of video games, what what are you what are you hyped for? Um, outside of video games, all right. So, uh, movies is probably the one to jump to there. Um, and uh, the one I think I'm really looking forward to uh, Enter the Spider Verse. I think the uh, and that's mostly actually off of the trailer I saw on Venom. I was kind of like on it, but the 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 post post credit scene on Venom Venom was a trailer for Enter the Spider Verse. Um, and it actually looks really cool. It looks really like I was impressed with the, uh, with kind of the style when I saw like the short trailers, but like seeing it for a while, it really works and it looks really good. Um, and you know, the, the, the little kind of story beats we got, uh, have, have got me wrapped up in, in that. So enter the spider Verse is probably the biggest thing. What about you? 
Uh, do I even do I even have to say it, ladies and gentlemen? There's an Aquaman movie coming out. <laughs> they, they released a five-minute trailer, uh, which I actually kind of think is sort of neat because typically, like, typically you get three trailers, right? Like one way out in advance, and then kind of two um, beforehand that are like meant to play in front of movies, right? Um, and uh, and they didn't do that with Aquaman. They did what they did like the first trailer, which came out, <clears throat> you know, in San Diego Comic Con, and then they did the second trailer, you know, two or three months uh, beforehand, uh, two months beforehand, and it kind of smushed those last two. You know, typically you get two three minute trailers, and they smush that together to get like one five minute trailer. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, obviously I'm hyped for Aquaman. Obviously, 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 obviously. Um, <laughs> but, um, besides the, the obvious, uh, besides the obvious stuff, uh, I was actually looking at movies coming out and I was a little bit surprised to see that I wasn't incredibly hyped to see too much of the other stuff coming out, um, you know, like by the end of the year. Right, like Bumblebee or whatever, right? Even Enter the Spider-Verse, which I am... I was actually... I, I have had the opposite experience, which is the, the different trailers have kind of sent me against the movie to a certain extent. I was very excited to see Miles Morales. I remember when Miles Morales was first introduced. He was introduced in the pages of Ultimate Spider-Man, which has always been my favorite comic book iteration of Spider-Man. Um, and stuff like that. And so I was like, oh, this is cool. You know, like, Miles gets his own movie, doing his own sort of stuff. Miles has an interesting story with his own kind of villains and cast of characters and the kind of, like, unspoken uh, relationship that he has with Peter Parker, um, who died in that series, um, is, like, really, like, neat and cool. But now it seems to be more of, like, an ensemble movie about all of them, right? Like, the, the Enter the Spider-Verse stuff is, uh, you know, so, you know, that, that it is about all these different spider people, and you have Spider-Gwen, and you have Spider-Ham, who sounds hilarious, by the way, big fan, as a big fan of John Mulaney or whatever, um, so I guess, I guess to a certain extent, my stock has fallen a little bit when it comes to, uh, Enter the Spider-Verse, um, but yeah, and then in the beginning of next year, there's a couple of things that that I'm that I'm hyped for. Obviously, Shazam, right? I'm interested by Captain Marvel, although that first trailer was bad and boring. Did we talk about that trailer on the cast? I don't know if we did. Yeah, because um, you thought it was boring too, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we talked about it, we obviously forgot about it because the trailer was so forgettable. Yeah, Ayo. trailer that. Yeah, I know that trailer was so forgettable. Yeah, it's just one, bad. One I just hot, think it was very bad. One um, of the hot takes I saw on Twitter was like. The, the best thing about that trailer was uh, was the blockbuster, um, which is a problem. That's true. Uh, That's what everybody referenced in that trailer was, like, the blockbuster in, like, the first two seconds of it. Um, yeah. And, there, you know, like, there's some controversy, right? Like, the fucking smile. Did you see the smile thing? N no. Yeah, so it was, like, a controversy because in reacting to the trailer, a number of critics were kind of like, oh, she looks so... You know, Brie Olsen, right? Looks so oh. mean. Like, geez, can't she? Can't she like smile or whatever? Which kind of got interpreted along like the sort of sexist implications yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But I, having seen kind of both sides of that and remembering the context around fucking Superman in Man of Steel, Batman v Superman or whatever, I think it is more kind of along those 
like more kind of along those lines. And I think it's a dumb criticism in the same way that I think it's a dumb criticism for, you know, Man of Steel, Batman for Superman or whatever else kind of thing. But, um, yeah, it was like, it was like a, it was like a 20 second Twitter controversy. Um, <laughs> a lot of those. Uh, yeah. <laughs> very dumb. Very stupid. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, uh, so, so the one that I'm excited about early in 2019 is, uh, is Hellboy. Um, just because I've, I've, I've always been I've been meaning to get around to um to read some of those comics because I really love the Guillermo del Toro movies, um, but you know apparently they're they're not exactly what the uh, the comic book author really wanted out of them or at least right. what they how he envisioned um kind of like his world as which I think is a little bit darker a little, like a little bit less fantastic and a little bit more um darker and horror y and uh, the Hellboy is 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 the sheriff from Stranger Things right um, yeah. And so I think I think you know I think he's a, he's a good match uh, for for kind of like the body you know like like I can see it is, is basically what I mean right like um, and so I'm I, I'm excited to, to see what they do with that and maybe they'll convince me to finally go go buy and read some uh, uh, some some Hellboy comics. Do you, do you have you read any Hellboy? Uh, yeah, I've actually read a bunch of Hellboy, um, and I think Hellboy is great. I think Hellboy is actually kind of uniquely great from a uh, standpoint of movie making because there's not a lot of continuity, um, which I think is kind of like just neat. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, one other movie I will say early in 2019 that I am also kind of hyped for is the Lego Movie Two. Um, I am sad that the Lego Movie Two is not being directed by my my boys Phil Lord and Chris Miller um but you know I they are still producing the project obviously so and and it, it is set off of like the kind of the world and the style and everything that they created so I have a certain amount of faith and I'm really excited to sort of see what uh see what that comes out with because god you man like the Lego movie is such a good movie um, I'm actually. I need to see it. I saw Lego Batman, which I really like. Wait, you never saw the original Lego Movie? I never got around to it. No. Oh my god, you're gonna love it. It's like the perfect movie for you. I'm, I'm sure it is. Yeah, because like Chris oh. Pratt is doing like his Chris Prattiest, uh, Chris Pratt thing, and uh, but like it's also you know it's also like sincere but tongue in cheek at the same time. It's a whole. It's a, it's a, it's a whole thing. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Um. Kind of on the in the line of. You know, uh, sequels for children. Um, this is an anti-hype one, but I am not really that hype for uh, the Wreck-It Ralph breaks the internet or whatever it is. I've been, um, yeah, I've been very disappointed by the trailers for that one. Yeah, because like it was, it, it took a lot of what made the the first one special. It felt like, which is kind of like a lot of the kind of video gaming stuff. The stuff that kind of endeared it to us, kind of just on its face, right? That it was finally a, a movie, kind of embracing uh embracing kind of like the video games as as an aspect of the culture that you know is part of so many kids lives these days and to kind of uh boulderized it and put it into like this generic internet movie i feel like i i I get flat i never saw the emoji movie but it like the the trailers feel similar to me oh yeah i i i have the uh I, i have like weird I get this like late stage capitalism kind of like reaction to it. You know what I mean? Where it feels like the movie is like brands. Don't you love brands? Don't you love our brands? Right? Like buy merchandise from the Disney store at Disney.go.com. Right? Like that's the, that's like 
the feeling I get out of the movie. Yeah, and, and, and I don't want to be, you know, I really hate that kind of interaction with, you know, like movies and film and stuff. Because I do think that this stuff is like legitimately art. And I think that Marxist kind of critiques along those lines are, frankly, very boring and very not fun. And they don't take any kind of... They're they're just like super cynical, and they and they basically say that you can't have an emo, like an, a real emotional reaction with something along these kinds of lines, but um, but if there is anything that embodies like the the sort of kind of like depravity of like you know the Wendy's Twitter account or something like that, it feels like Wreck It Ralph breaks the internet is the is the spiritual successor. It's that in movie form. Yeah, I, I think the moment that really killed it for me was when they're like talking to the search engine and she's like i want to go to a cool place it's like oh you gotta go to disney then it's oh just yeah i know i know i know (laughs) i just wanted to die i was like oh why are you doing this to me (laughs) but uh yeah it's it's uh i don't know what what else what else is there to be hype about i i still i still got some more video game stuff right like there's um, there's Sekiro. Do you, are you are you a big uh, Dark Souls guy? I'm not, so I'm not a big Dark Souls. I've never played because uh, all of the Dark Souls games came out on consoles that I didn't have, um, and then I got on my like big computer and I never really got into it because it was like Dark Souls three or whatever. Uh, I imagine that I would be interested slash hyped for Dark Souls, though I do hate the kind of like get good bullshit that comes with uh, that comes with it. You know what I mean? Huh. Uh, explain that, actually. I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. But, I, 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 it's, it's, it's sort of like the Rick and Morty fan base ruining Rick and Morty, if that makes sense. Okay, right? yeah, like, yeah. I feel Rick that. and Morty is a good show. I like the show or whatever. I just think that all of the fans are, well, I actually don't know how much I like the show. Um, but if, like, when I look at Rick and Morty, I see a certain product and I say, oh, that that's cool. Like, that's really neat and interesting. And I'm sure that a very similar thing would happen with, like, Dark Souls. But I dislike the way that people talk about and around Dark Souls in the sense of, like, Dark Souls is there for me to, you know, I don't know, like, style on you because I completed it at, at some difficulty level and you need to get good... And if you can't complete it at that difficulty level, you're, you know, a piece of shit or whatever. Just like, well, well, I don't see, know, see, I hate all of that kind of discussion around the game. Well, so so I think I think that that's a little bit unfair because I think that this is the core of it, right? Dark Souls doesn't have difficulty levels. And um, I think there's been, like, a lot of, like, there's been some call from some portion of the population to, like, make an easy mode for Dark Souls. Um, and... Uh, you know, obviously there are people who are like, haha, get good, you scrub, um, you know, learn to play video games, um, especially when it's like a journalist doing it, right? There's always that cadre of people who are going to be like, journalists yeah, yeah. can't even play these games. Um, but I do think that there's something to be said for, you know, um, uh, you know, the difficulty, like, like I'm, I'm kind of a believer that each game has a difficulty it's meant to be played at, and that kind of expresses the the, the artistry of the game in the men. In, in like its most true way, um, and Dark Souls achieves that by not like letting you escape that, um, and it's meant to be a very punishing and difficult and kind of uh, uh, and uh, in some ways infuriating game, um, but that I think plays into what it wants you to feel about the world, what, what you want, what what it wants you to feel about the story, um, 
And so while, while I definitely take your point, there are definitely people out there who just like um, like to, 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 to be shitters about it. And, you know, I think the other side of this coin, too, is like, you know, everybody and their brother calling whatever it is the Dark Souls of X. Yeah, right? that's, like, that, that is also a piece of it. I hate it when somebody is like, this is the Dark Souls of, you know, 2D platformers. This is the Dark Souls of Pokemon. And it's like, God, go away. Just, nobody likes you, okay? <laughs> yeah, um... <laughs> Uh, there's a great Twitter account that I'll, that I'll link. It's like everything is Dark Souls. It just like farms <laughs> quotes about that. Um, um, uh, but it's uh, 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 Sekiro to get, kind of get back to the point, right? Yeah, is, yeah, uh, Sekiro. <laughs> yeah, is going to be the Dark Souls uh, of something. Is that, is well, that what it is? Well, it's, it, it, well it's, if it's by uh, FromSoft, right? Like Bloodborne, they're called Soulsborne games now, so I'm sure they'll be called like. Seki Soulsborns by the by the end of like the year, um, uh, or they'll just call Sekiro a Soulsborn game, um, and uh, I think that or I'm excited for it because it looks like it's different enough from Dark Souls. It, it kind of embracing some of the elements that made Bloodborne a lot of a lot of people's favorites in kind of the the genre, which is kind of like uh, recording a more aggressive play style and a little bit less slow and plotting than Dark Souls can get, um, as well as some cool kind of uh stuff that you can do with like your uh uh your your site like your arm attachments right like the the stories that you've lost an arm and you've got like a grappling hook in there and you've got like a shield fan and like maybe like a blowtorch or something um i think that all looks very cool um and uh you know i'm also a big fan of of neo which was the um i forget what the developer's name was but it's a souls type game uh in uh, in feudal Japan, this is um, this is uh, this is it, you actually play a historical figure. Um, I forget what his what his name was, but he's he's basically an Englishman that goes to um, that goes to Japan to save the world or something. You know, there's there's some mystical plot that kind of like half mirrors the historical plot. Um, and I thought that was probably the best non from soft Souls game there is. It also has some really neat elements, like it's got uh, it's basically like a Diablo style looting system, which I thought was really cool and a really interesting uh enhancement of of kind of the souls the soulsborn formula um and neo 2 comes out just kind of like throw that on the pile that's coming out i don't know when um uh and i'm a little bit afraid that maybe sekiro's gonna like gonna kill neo which which, which would disappoint me but i think there's enough room for m multiple games in the genre and even multiple games in kind of like the set in feudal japan genre so yeah 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 um but yeah uh Sekiro, that also comes out in March. March is going to be a busy month for me, I think, uh, in terms in terms of game releases. Uh, you got anything else you want to talk I'm about? I'm trying to the... think of TV. I'm trying to think of, like, TV that I'm hyped for. Um, I don't Boku no Hero Academia the... Season 4. Yeah, so how does that work with, uh, with anime? Is it a year? Is it six months? Is it... Um, so BNHA is big enough that, like, it might... It might be in the spring. Like I think this 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 arc or this uh, this run went spring through summer, and it's it is like the biggest thing right now. So I'm sure. Um, you know what? Let, let me let me let me go see if they've if they've got any information on it because I'm I'm sure it's definitely coming. Um. Uh. Uh. I don't know if there's any information on it. It's confirmed, right? Like. Uh. But yeah, okay. I don't. Th I don't think there's any information. Uh, information on it. Um, 
Yeah. Um, I think there's some there's some discussion about whether like at some point the you know this happens to all the popular anime where like the anime starts coming out faster than the manga or the manga author writes the manga. Yeah. And yeah. so eventually it catches up and they have to decide whether they they do filler or they just put it like you know put it off. Um, we'll see. Um, but I'm sure that that's coming out. So I I can't believe it's not coming out sometime next year. Although it did take us like three or four years to get a second season to uh, of uh, Attack on Titan. Uh, uh, but yeah, because yeah, yeah, you know, I I I feel like I watch a lot of TV, but I don't know um, like what comes out sort of like when. Uh, like I know, Mind Hunter season two. Mind Hunter was my favorite TV show of last year, and Mind Hunter season two has filmed in twenty eighteen. But I think it probably comes out somewhere in twenty nineteen. I know that there is a second season. Netflix, it like immediately picked it up for another season. Um, but uh, oh, the big one is obviously Young Justice. Holy shit! Yeah, Young oh, Justice. Right. We were talking about that. Yeah, yeah. Is coming out in early twenty nineteen at some point, uh, bringing back a lot of the a lot of like the big name heavy hitter uh writers. It is insane to me that they were able to kind of like piece that project back together. Um, excuse me, six months, or six years after, you know, six years after the fact, um, just because, ah, that's actually a little bit too long, it had to be a little bit less than that, maybe it was only like five years or something, but, you know, Greg Weissman went on to do his own thing, um, though apparently, I guess he didn't like his time at Disney, because he was only there for one season of Hell's Rebels, or, I'm sorry, Hell's Rebels, Star Wars Rebels, um, you know, I think uh, uh, the the different voice actors. I mean, Carrie Payton is on The Walking Dead, which is the biggest and also like fucking worst show ever. Um, and so uh, I'm surprised they were able to get him into the studio. Plus, he's on you know he's on Teen Titans Go. So the guy who voices Aqualad also voices Cyborg um in the team like from the original teen titans and then he went to aqualad and then in teen titans go he voices cyborg again because it's the same voice cast um which is actually why because you've seen the the serious episode right let's get serious where they where they meet aqualad in the young justice team in teen titans go oh my god it's the best episode ever yeah, I don't, I don't think I've... I, don't, I, don't, I, don't. <laughs> I highly recommend everyone go try and find the episode Let's Get Serious from Teen Titans Go. Because it is literally the... It's, it's one of those episodes where they're kind of like trolling the haters. Um, because they, they're goofing around and Aqualad from Young Justice shows up. And it's the same voice actor, right? So, you know, it's easy to kind of like mix and match or whatever. Um... But Aqualad from Young Justice shows up and he's like, you guys aren't serious. You don't take anything seriously. It's all jokes and burgers and burritos, right? Like, we're serious heroes who, like, save the day and you should feel bad. And so the Teen Titans try and become serious and there's hijinks. It's great. Um, that, sound, that sounds like Teen Titans Go. It does. Like, yeah, I, I guess it does. Um, uh, the, and one of the other interesting things about Young Justice is that the difference between season one and season two was actually really drastic. Um, th- Young Justice season one was centered around, you know, like these six characters, kind of like eight by the end of the season, but two of them come in at the very end, so it doesn't really count. Um, it centers around like these six characters, and then there's a five-year time jump, right? And these kids are, and they're teenagers, right? And um, and so after the five-year time jump, then they're doing, um, 
they are uh, working with like a new kind of generation of like the Teen Titans, so to speak. Um, and you know, Superboy and Miss Martian have kind of like aged out. Um, some of them have moved on into the Justice League, like Zatanna becomes a member of the Justice League or whatever. Um, Robin becomes Nightwing and there's a new Robin sort of thing. And so like, I am interested, I, the, what we have seen so far of Justice, uh, Justice, uh, Young Justice, um, season three suggests that it is not, um, going to be, uh, like another huge time jump that they're going to stick in that kind of five years later, um, like time zone, but oh boy god that show is so good i'm very excited for you to like watch it uh like apropos of nothing because keep yeah. yourself keep yourself not spoiled because there is some good shit in there <laughs> it is really good yeah I'll, I'll have i'll have to give that a watch we'll have to discuss it um are you excited for cw's arrow which premieres on october 15th uh, I have fallen off of Arrow. I watched four seasons of Arrow, and I liked actually all of it. But just at some point, I stopped watching Stop it. Garrick. for some. Well, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, I stopped watching it for some reason. Uh, and I got kind of onto other stuff. Um, yeah. I would have added, uh, have you ever watched uh, Nick Kroll's animated show on Netflix called Big Mouth? Uh, Everybody hates that show, I know. No, I mean, the the thing that I saw recently about it was, like, some, like, you know, everybody's body is, is, is like, uh, is, is different or something, which is, you know, fine message, but, like, there was, like, a lot of naked nudity in, like, a gross style that I just, you know, that's not for me. Yeah, um, it is... Uh, I would like it would have been on my anticipated list just because I'm a big fan of Nick Kroll, John Mulaney, right? And, like, that kind of, like, crew of people, um... And, uh, but it is, it's kind of like if, like, Family Guy or one of those kind of, like, raunchy was, it's not on a network, right? It's on Netflix. Yeah, So yeah. they can say fuck, and they can show boobs. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not there to be, you know, it's not like Game of Thrones, where it's supposed to be, like, sexy or whatever, right? Like, it's not supposed to be titillating. It's supposed to be, like, funny, because, like, the whole show revolves around kind of awkward, you know teenagers going through puberty and stuff in middle school and high school or whatever but uh yeah that show's insanely funny i find it so funny and i laugh so hard but it is also very like gross um and also like weirdly serialized and dramatic in some ways um i don't know i had some real hardcore flashbacks to what it was like when i was in uh, you know like when i was in high school and having like high school fights with my high school friends or whatever <laughs> Um, God, man, it, it all just seems so small in the rearview mirror, Mango, I say. Yeah, yeah. As a 28-year-old. No. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know, just, I don't know, gross-out humor is, is, is I, I just don't like it. Like, I I, I won't play um, Binding of Isaac, um, because I just, I just, I just can't get over, like, there's too much Yeah, food. yeah. Yeah, it is um, a show that I don't recommend to people, right uh, based on like various things, I don't think I don't think it's a show for everybody. Yeah. I don't even think it's a show for me all that much. I think <laughs> it's just because you know what I mean. It's just because like you know I love the the Kroll show. There's a lot of and it's a lot of the same people, right? Right, um, right, right. And so in a lot of ways, it kind of like inherits that stuff. But there are definitely times where I'm just like, oh, gross. <laughs> That's so gross. Um. Yeah. Well. uh... 
do we want to close this out with uh i don't know like a game you're looking forward to just because we are not uh, so another game that i wanted to mention completely out of left field is uh the game called fuck it's called i think it's called how which stands for hard ancient living which is an indie game city builder for ancient egypt and that's basically huh. all that we know about it, but I love Banished so much, and I want to play more Banished, but not Banished, but also, yes, Banished, that the idea of playing a game where you are, you know, managing an ancient Egyptian settlement, and in the same way that in Banished you're dealing with, like, the winter, right? Like, you, you are trying to survive winter and not get supremely fucked by that stuff, um... Uh, uh, the idea of doing that, but with ancient Egypt is very cool to me. So that was like an off the beaten path thing that I, that I saw that I wanted to shout out. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And if you're going to end it with an off the beaten path one, I'm going to end it with one that's very on the beaten path and I'm very hyped for Smash Brothers Ultimate. Oh um, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I play uh, a bunch of fighting games. I'm not very good at any of them. If I'm good at any of them, it's probably Smash. Um, and I, uh, I really like Smash. I'm just really excited for this iteration. Everything looks really cool. Um, you know, I, I don't know what else to say about it. It looks like it's going to be kind of like uh, an ultimate version of the game. I'm actually kind of curious. Like, the thing I'm most concerned about this game is not this game itself, but, like, what it means for the series going forward. Right? Like, I feel like this has to last for a while because I don't know how you top this. Right? You can't, like, you know, bring back every character then add some more. I, my, my theory, my pet theory... Um, is because Nintendo doesn't ever do anything straightforward or anything. Is this is it going to be kind of like their evergreen game? Like a lot, a lot of these fighting games have decided that the current version is going to be the version for the foreseeable future, and they're going to just kind of keep adding content and seasons. And I could see Nintendo doing something like that, but I could also see them doing something stupid, like releasing new versions of it every couple of years, yeah. because they're like always perennially a generation behind in terms of like, like a. Uh, marketing tech, I guess, is the right way to put it. Um, it is, you know, you've accused me of being a fanboy before, before, and I'll, I'll, I'll proudly wear that title. But like, um, what Nintendo, if Nintendo's strength is in its game design, it's its weaknesses and its like consumer experience. Um, and so, uh, I'm a little bit worried in that front. But you know, it's Smash. We're gonna have everybody that's been in every previous game. Uh, on launch, so, you know, it can't be too bad, right? Yeah, I kind of almost wonder if Smash Ultimate is built to be a long-lasting, that this is it, right? There are yeah. no future, you know, every console will just get a copy of Smash Ultimate, right? Yeah. And they'll be releasing DLC or free DLC or whatever the case may be to add, like, new fighters in the same way that, like, League of Legends or something like that does. Um, you know. Yeah, like I said, that's what Smash, that's what, not Smash, that's what uh, Street Fighter does. That's what, uh, uh, that's what I think, um, what's the one for Xbox? Uh, it's, I, I forget what it's called, but it's, 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 uh, it's the, the one with like, uh, uh, like master, it doesn't have, ma no, it has, it has general Ram, um, whatever it is. Uh, I obviously don't play it. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, I, I could definitely see it going that way, but, uh, I think. That's all we have to say about things that we are hyped about for the future. Uh, but what have you been hyped for this week, buddy? Uh, that you've been doing? What have I been hyped for and doing this week? 
So I tortured been... that sentence into recognition. So have you been following any of the have you been following any of like the kind of um the the drams and the backlash against Battle for Azeroth? Um a little bit. Um Nerd Slayer just put out a post about why he's not playing Battle for Azeroth, which I watched. That reminded me to cancel my WoW subscription. Um, <laughs> um not that like I don't like I know I know that it didn't really draw me in, but I wouldn't say I'm like vehemently against it. Like it seems some people are. Well, why, why aren't you filming it on, on the train? Yeah, this is something I find myself like. This is something I'm trying not to get sort of like I don't know angry or anything kind of like over. Um, but uh, but yeah, like I feels like the the initial reaction to World of Warcraft has been fairly negative. Um, and, uh, so, like, the WoW subreddit every day is people just, like, shitting on it and everything. And there's a lot of pieces in there that are just, like, why unsub? And then people are like, well, I did unsub. And it's like, okay, well, why are you talking about how bad the game is after you've unsubbed kind of thing? Um, and there's kind of, like, these, like, two warring pieces of it. Um, because it seems from... It seems as though the group of people that have, that don't like the game have unsubbed but are continuing to follow developments and post about how shitty those developments are which i found intensely interesting as like a phenomenon right because i feel like if i don't like a game i stop following it i don't want to see it anymore and i want to talk about it anymore right i want to get away from it um in a lot of ways um and uh and so i'm i'm interested by the idea that like you know the World of Warcraft subreddit has been taken over by people that are keeping up with Wowhead and the MMO Champion and all the stuff that gets data mined or whatever, but aren't actually playing the game anymore because they think it's so bad. Um, and I don't know what to do. I don't like. I, I it's like it's. I feel like it's a unique sort of thing. I mean, maybe uh, the, part of me suspects that the truth of it all is that they haven't unsubbed, right? And that they are still playing the game and they are just as frustrated as before, um, but are addicted to it to whatever extent that they are and so they continue they continue along with the kind of like the pattern and the path i don't know i mean i also think there's an aspect to this where like i think people are kind of used to unsubbing and resubbing to wow uh in kind of like a, a like it's how do i want to put this i feel like people feel like they're still part of the game and part of the community even during the times where they're unsubbed right like this is a game it's not a game that like when you unsub you leave when you unsub, you're just kind of, like, taking a break for a while, and eventually you expect to come back. Um, and I think that, you know, while that's a little bit weird, I also don't think that that's so unexpected or, or so bad, right? Like, I, I think that makes sense for a lot of people, right? That that you would want to... Um, you'd want to make sure that the game eventually gets to a state where you want to play it again because you do want to play this game that you've been playing on and off for 12 years. You just want it to be in a state where it's worth it to you to pay the $15 a month. So we kind of get the the attitude there, um, but uh, yeah. Do, do you do you want to bring up any of, of the specific complaints? Whether you think they're valid? Yeah. Or okay. Or... So I am going to talk about spoilers, I guess. Like, because I because I, I want to talk about some of the specific sorts of things, but I do want to warn people that some of this is going to include spoilers that have been data mined off of the eight point one PTR. Um, and uh, if you haven't spoiled yourself for any of that kind of stuff. Thanks for listening. Okay, so three, two, one, spoilers. Okay, 
in 8.1 so a, a lot of this revolves around two kinds of things one is factionalization in the in like the true tribal version of i think a lot of players are factionally kind of motivated and allied as people right as players right. which is a different relationship than i have to the fact like my relationship to the factions as an RPer is as a window to others in a way, right? I am interested in Sylvanas from the perspective of a forsaken, right, who looks on her as an ill-tempered and cynical but pragmatic savior, right? And that she gets a, and you know, and that she's doing what has to be done or something like that. Or I like looking at Sylvanas from as, you know, an orc second you know like a second war uh a veteran of the second war orc who you know went through this kind of mania before with um with the original horde and is and is sad to see the horde fall to the same kind you know what i mean like the all of these details are always kind of like filtered through the worldview of like a character in a true like role-playing sense right right um <coughs> But I think for the majority of the player base, that's not the case, right? They, as people, look at Sylvanas and they say, she is a bad guy. Or they look at Sylvanas and they say, she is a good guy. Or they look at Sylvanas and they say, she's a complicated person who does complicated... You know, like, whatever the gamut of things are. But the point is, is that they all hold, like personal opinions and beliefs about this character and also the character of Anduin and also the character of Saurfang and the Horde and the Alliance and the whole kind of like conflict in general right but the sure. problem is is that if you have a story about that like bat that is battle for Azeroth right uh, and it is about like the Horde and the Alliance like really coming to true blows um, kind of against one another if you have people that are going to be factionalized that way, it I feel like it kind of naturally breeds this kind of thought and, like, negativity in a way, right? Because, like, there is no... I mean, we all know that Nazoth is, like, the big bad, but there's nobody that, like... It's not like Wrath of the Lich King, where the factionalized stuff is in there, right? If you don't like Sylvanas or Putris or... or uh, uh, whatever the the like the alchemist name is or whatever. If you run like Varian, you think like Varian is a jerk or whatever. That is all secondary to the ultimate goal of defeating the Lich King, right? Um, or in the same way, like I I recently played through the Alliance version um, of the Stormheim opening, um, which is to be honest with you, one of the most formative pieces of factionalized lore that has been forgotten because the Alliance literally starts the war against the legion with an assassination plot against sylvanas and like that's it that it's just a, it is plain as day that they are going to go assassinate uh sylvanas in stormheim they are the they are the absolute aggressors who are trying to remove you know this uh who are trying to remove her from power or whatever um but that is a smaller piece of a story versus the story about Sargeras and the Burning Legion and all of this other kind of stuff, right? Um, and to a certain extent, I think that it's a, it's a core piece of the story because it is one that helps to explain context. Like, Battle for Azeroth feels like it comes out of nowhere unless you think, to, unless you, like, think of this Stormheim stuff. Right. Um, where Sylvanas literally gets proof that the that the alliance wants her dead 
and that they are not going to sit around and kind of like negotiate or whatever. Anyway, um, and so part of me wonders, my whole kind of thesis with this is like, okay, well, if your players are personally invested in the made-up story of of Azeroth, right? They are personally invested in Sylvanas is a villain, right? Or Sylvanas is, you know, an anti-hero or whatever their opinion is, right? You are always going to piss people off when you have a, an entire expansion based around pitting these people against one another and there's no way around it and so i so my grand thesis to the negativity is that yes it is not some of it is justified but a lot of it is not a lot of it is just ambient frustration because wow is forcing people to hate one another and the story because of their own kind of like prior biases um walking into it and i have no idea what comes like I don't know if that's a good thing or that's a bad thing. I just think it is like the thing that is happening. Um, and so I just wanted to talk about that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, that's really interesting. Right. Like I definitely see that. Right. Like, um, and I think that Blizzard plays into it, right? Like if you remember the, uh, the advertising for, for battle for Azeroth, it was like a dude on a train who like goes to like sit down next to some girl. And then he sees the Alliance insignia on her bag. And he's like, I'm not sitting next to her. I'm going to sit next to the big, the, the the big guy on the other side of the train and i'm gonna proudly flash my horde symbol right like yeah i i, I think the game i think they actively encourage that and uh, i i get I, I think i agree with you i don't know if i have an opinion on whether or not that's yeah that i i of... have no idea whether or not it's a mistake but yeah because yeah. we keep getting like you know like in my guild and stuff like that we keep getting into these arguments but the arguments always boil down to what is your fundamental set of beliefs about like the wow universe as a person right so for so the 8.1 stuff that comes out is that like 8.1 is like the alliance's revenge right Hor the horde is uh, make the big first hits um they burn down Teldrassil. they push the alliance off of kalimdor even if they lose the siege of lordaeron lordaeron gets blighted by Sylvanas, so they don't even like gain all that much in terms of like power or territory or whatever. Um, and so Tarande and the Alliance uh, mount a a like they they go back to Darkshore and they are fighting against the Forsaken occupation of Darkshore. Right. Um, what Sylvanas is doing on Darkshore is raising all of these uh, rangers who have died, all of these sentinels, like the Night Elf Sentinels, to be her new Dark Rangers. So they're like undead elves or whatever. Um, and the kind of crucial piece of this is that two named characters on the Night Elf side, Delarin, who is the in the in Sylvanas's cinematic, she's like the one with all of like the arrows in her back and she's like dying and she's like the captain of the of the defense and she loses and she's like you can't kill hope and sylvanas is like can't i then she yeah. dies she gets rezzed as a dark ranger and also another character that pops up in the um in like the night of stuff with taronda her name is sira and she's like a warden she also dies and gets rezzed by sylvanas and they immediately turn on you know and start fighting uh and start fighting taronda now if you are somebody who comes at this from a point of view of wait wait it's just real, real quick do they they turn on that they, they they are loyal to Sylvanas they are loyal to Sylvanas right okay yeah, yeah. I just want to make yeah. sure I got that and this is a point and I and I think there are two sides to this coin right and one of them is kind of like are you sympathetic to the night elves or are you sympathetic to the forsaken right because if you're sympathetic to the forsaken this has always been true right 
Forsaken, like the the early Forsaken quests in Death Now, both in vanilla and the updated version of the quest in Cataclysm, are about humans who are members of the Alliance, presumably, who are raised to be Forsaken, and they they essentially get a choice to join the Horde, and the vast majority of them choose, yep, I am go, I am Forsaken, I am joining Sylvanas, I am I am part of the Horde now, right? Um, additionally, there are other quests throughout the, throughout, you know, like that whole side of things where you are going and you are killing humans and raising them against their allies, right? So for instance, there's a quest in Silver Pine Forest where, um, you go to Fenris Isle, it's like this island, there's a bunch of humans, there's a bunch of Alliance humans that are holding out there, um, and you run around with a Valkyr, you kill the humans, the Valkyr raises the humans as Forsaken, the Forsaken then join your attack right um so if you are a forsaken your argument if you're a forsaken sympathizer your argument is this has always been true right death is a traumatic experience you uh when you are forsaken you are truly you know you are forsaken you will never be accepted by your people again and so the only thing that makes sense is to join up with sylvanas Right. And typically also, right, like your um, whatever negative kind of anxieties or insecurities or feelings uh, are then projected out against people. Right. And in the 8.1 stuff, when the night elves are fighting against their like undead former brethren, those undead former brethren are being, you know, like they are they are really going after the night elves. And they're saying, um, you know, Delarin says where was a you know like your your loon's vengeance where was a loon when her people were being slaughtered right you abandoned us this is your fault kind of right like that sort of that sort of like trauma right but if you're a night elf you look at that and you say these are people who for 10,000 years have been defending Kalimdor right and as soon as they as soon as they they died they literally died defending these people and as soon as they are res they immediately turn against to Rondé, that's bullshit kind of thing but it all just boils down to kind of like which of those priors you hold um like which which one of these groups is willing to get your benefit of the doubt essentially um, yeah no i see that. I, I actually think that this has always kind of been a problem for the undead um like i think that you can put off this problem for a long time if you're never doing anything that like really puts yourself face to face with it like if it's all like faceless npc like faceless humans doing it but i think that kind of like the twin narratives of like the undead like like you said like the the undead are like a real faction that are not like completely evil and disgusting whereas like the other side of that being that like you know there's like there seems to be some amount of potential for uh like an undead to um or like for for somebody to be like look do the like you know if this was a story where the alliance were the good guys and the horde were the bad guys definitively the noble thing to do would be to to like reject your undeath or like you know you know turn around and immediately start fighting them because you've been rezzed against your will or whatever yeah. um that is that is by the way something that happens in the cataclysm starting zone quests you meet three different people one of whom immediately commits suicide because he doesn't want to live in undeath right Another one, um, uh, another one wants to stay alive but doesn't join the Forsaken and leaves. And then the third one uh, joins joins up with the Forsaken and is like, "Yep, I'm I'm cool with this." Um, yeah, and so and so a lot of people are saying that there's there, there's mind control going on that Sylvanas is mind controlling these uh, these night elves 
against their will and that's what secretly you know like that is the that's the secret that nobody would follow to sylvanas willingly that they're all that they're all mind controlled which i think is a i think that particularly that is a poor argument kind of like based in nothing i kind of default to the forsaken side of things just because it's the one that's like based in lore right like yeah. if you take a long view of lore and see how how does sylvanas act how do the forsaken act or whatever right this is very in keeping with that stuff and i don't think it's that kind of crazy but it is like a huge sticking point for people also the sticking point of Tyrande whisperwind you know the this this uh super powerful high priest of a loon or whatever um can't kill uh nathanos blightcaller like she's trying to kill uh nathanos and nathanos doesn't die that is another huge sticking point for people but i think that that's rooted just in the fact that um the alliance characters are typically overpowered and can't, you you need these characters to be on equal footing as the horde characters and that's kind of the fault of bad story writing that ele elevates people right in the sense of like yeah maybe you shouldn't have made malfurion just like the most the single most powerful druid of all time forever no matter what and that's the problem here not the fact that you know uh Tyrande and malfurion get beaten by uh nathanos and a bunch of forsaken yeah um, I just, just to kind of wind back to the previous point a little bit. I, I think there, there, I think that, like you know, not that like I think that you're wrong that the you know that the um, what's it called that by lore standards the Forsaken storyline isn't right. I just think that it's a weird sticking point in the writing in the lore that like kind of would rub people the wrong way anyway. Yeah. Right, that like you know. You know, in, in in a noble bright universe that like ninety percent of the people that that, you know, are raised as undead choose to portray their former people, which is, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, like color does an evil act, right? Like that's like or like, you know, in in a lot of literature doing something like that would be an evil thing, right? Like that's a thing yeah. you do to pursue power above your morals. Um and I think that, that it's just like such a weird sticking point that, like I said, has been kind of shoved to the side because it's never been anybody that really mattered right like you yeah, can yeah you can easily see that like you know you can easily like in your mind say well joe schmo did it but you know you know like if you went and killed malfurion and sylvanas raised him right like i feel like there's no good answer to what he does right like i feel like that maybe why they don't do it right like like ever right like sylvanas i think you get because you can do it once right and you know have it kind of work out like Sylvanas' story is also unique and in, in, in like uh uh goes for a while right like she she's not initially as like like herself when she when she first becomes a banshee under under Arthas right and Arthas does have a measure of mind control correct uh yes when Arthas raises people he is mind controlling them yeah okay yeah it's just I don't know I I, I think that this is a, a problem that's long been brewing. It's finally, like, just not a problem in that there isn't an answer. It's just, like, I think, like, a weird writing point that I think would would would, would have always bothered people if it had ever been brought to light yeah. in this kind of way. Yeah, I, I especially think it's weird just because it is quite literally theoretical ethics, right? These are yeah. not real ethics because right, we can't right. raise people from the dead. And right. so, like... I, it is, I, like, I actually kind of think that there is something to be said for, like, the, like, 
what do you consider mind control in a way? Yeah. Because like, so for instance, when people, the, when the Forsaken are described, they are described in a way that like their undeath makes them angry and bitter, right? In in a way that is not sort of like natural or, or if, you know, like it yeah, is yeah. like, it is a state of their undeath that they are, you know, bitter and angry and sour, right? And just like shitty people to a certain sort of, uh, to a certain extent. And I think viewed from that lens, it also sort of makes sense in the sense that like, yeah, maybe like being raised in undeath hyper charges these kind of negative emotions. And so someone is more willing to invest in their, you know, abandonment issues by Tarande and the failure they feel that their goddess didn't answer their prayers, right? Versus, you know, Sylvanas or kind of like whoever else kind of thing. Um, and I, but I, you know, I don't know. I think it's, uh, I, I think the Forsaken are not a super popular race to empathize with just because that they are, you know, kind of like they are edgy and villainous and anti-hero-y in a lot of ways. Um, and so their voice kind of gets drowned out by the people who play um, the Alliance and they play and they play Night Elves or whatever and they react to the very visceral genocide, right, that happened in Teldrassil, obviously. Um, and are kind of like like speaking sort of like from that place than from, you know, than from anywhere else. In yeah. a lot of ways, I'm actually very interested by the kind of uh, the kind of like raising of different characters that's going on in um, in like the quest lines of uh, the war campaign. Right? It's kind of neat to see some of this stuff like play out um, over time. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just really surprised they didn't go with the standard kind of like you know they're not your they're not the person you knew type of thing where like. The personnel, like the underlying personality, is kind of very sublimated, and it's like an almost new personality. And yeah. you know, yeah, you there there is some. I think if thing. you talk, like their default text, like quote text or whatever, is something, um, uh, is something like it's like you know we all have our reasons or something for you know like joining you know joining the the dark lady or whatever it is kind of thing um which seems to suggest that idea in a in a certain sort of way yeah like i don't know it also i think would be less weird if like sylvanas had like a terrible conversion rate right like yeah. out of every 100 people she raised only 10 never joined up or something yeah um but it feels like it's it's much more in the other direction that most people end up joining up um because i don't think that the numbers work out otherwise really you know like they're the kind of the, the motivations work out otherwise. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I super feel that. Um, but yeah, um, on my side, I've been playing, uh, uh, like last week, uh, I was playing, or it was the week before, I forget, I've been playing an open world game uh, with towers that you unlock collectibles with. Uh, that's Spider-Man this time around. Um, Spider-Man is a lot of fun. Uh, swinging is incredibly fun. Um, I... Highly recommended if you like the Spider-Man. Um, uh, it's a, like, I haven't gotten too deep into the story, but, like, it's a really neat story. I have heard other people who are more familiar with it saying it's probably the best piece of Spider-Man storytelling outside of the comic books ever. Like, it's better than any of the movies have ever been. Oh, um, boy, that's a tall order. Spider-Man yeah, 2 is so fucking good, but I think I um, am over, I, I am... I am bullish on Spider-Man 2's quality, probably. Fair enough. Um, 
Uh, but it is really neat. Um, uh, at least the stuff I've seen so far. Um, and it's well done. It's also a different take on Spider-Man. I think it's like Spider-Man's been the Spider-Man for eight years in the setting of the game. Um, so it's not like it's, it's you know, most of the, the movies have been like relatively close to his origin. Right, um, yeah. That's actually very cool. Yeah. Um, so they've got like, it's it's got a little bit of history. Not everything's there, right? Because he's, he's working for Otto Octavius and I don't think he's become Doc Ock yet. Um, okay. They're like kind of like working on that technology. But like, he dated MJ for a while and then they broke up. And right now you're like the story enters like six months after they've broken up and she's a reporter and they're, uh, they're, they're talking, you know, they're, they're just talking for the first time after that breakup in, in like the, the, the beginning of the story. Um, uh, and so there's, there's a bunch of cool stuff there. Um, though, like it's got like, it, it is very much a typical open world game. There's a lot of collectible stuff. The only thing that really, like strikes me as being like super silly is um at one point you open up a bunch of oscorp research stations that were set up by harry um to kind of like further his mother's uh his uh his mother's uh uh wishes um and like uh past her death and um what what happens and so you you go to them and this is how you get like a basically everything you gives you a token which lets you unlock uh new stuff um they do this really well too with a lot of the things you uh, unlock are like new suits um, and so you get like a new look for your character and they've got a bunch of stuff they've got like um, the like like the steampunky looking suit uh, Spider-Man Noir is what it's called they've got the punk rocker suit they've got the wrestling suit they've got the Scarlet Spider suit they've got a couple different Stark suits um, it's really cool in, 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 in that way um, also the new suit for the game looks really nice um, but on this Norman Osborn thing um, not Norman Harry um, you go and like you you can do them at your leisure, right? And every time you go to one, you like walk inside, and it, ju it just so happens that there's a crisis that this center can deal with happening right now. And it's, it's, it's just, it just like feel like everything else feels all right. Like no, nothing, like you know, there are backpacks that, that a younger Spider-Man had left around as like stashes that you're retrieving, um, or like it's or like you're taking pictures of famous landmarks in New York City. Um, uh, some of them real, some of them fiction, like you take a picture of, of, of the Avengers Tower um, or the Wakandan uh, uh, embassy. Um, and so that all feels really natural. But the, uh, like the, 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 uh, everything besides the, the, the Osborne stuff feels uh, really good. And the Osborne stuff is still fun. It's just like, it, it, it's just this weird break because um, it does this thing that like all games do where it's like, you need to get downtown now. And then you're like, but I want to go do this then. And it's like, nothing ever matters in that, in that yeah, way. Like yeah, you don't yeah. have to go do anything. Um, and where it's really is, is some, some missions take place at certain times of day in the city. And so it'll stop the, like it'll send you to a loading screen and then load you to like the next night. And then when you're done, it'll load you back to the day. If you're doing it in the middle of the day, um, it's like, you know, and that break in that was just reported to you by, you know, Yuri Watanabe is still, I guess, ongoing, you know, 24 hours later. Um, but you know that stuff aside, which you can easily like, you know, I, I don't, it's it's not that bad. Um, games, uh, really fun. I would characterize those complaints as nitpicks. Um, to use your parlance. The other thing I've been playing a lot of is I've been playing a lot of Black Ops Four. Oh um, shit! Yeah, tell me about Black Ops Four because I've seen that a lot of people are playing it, and I'm interested because I feel like Call of Duty games typically don't get this kind of action. Yeah. Um. I buy a Call of Duty game every couple of years, usually on a console, just have some dumb running gun fun because I, I like that kind of thing um 
and Blackout, which is the Battle Royale mode, is very good. Um, it is basically like a uh, a very smooth PUBG in terms of feel. Right? It doesn't feel as cartoony or as, as weird as Fortnite does. It's not as tactical as PUBG. It's a little bit more running gun, but it's still... Um, is very good. The shooting feels really good. COD shooting always feels pretty decent. Um, there's a couple cool spins, uh, spins on it. Like there are helicopters. There are like zombie spawn points that you can get some unique gear out of. There are missions, which I haven't interacted with yet, but like pick up a piece of paper and it tells you things you need to do. And if you do it, um, you unlock, you unlock a character skin to play in blackout mode, which seems really cool. Um, you know, just very typical, uh, but otherwise, it plays like like PUBG on on like Sandhawk in terms of map size. Um, uh, it's not perfect. I don't think it's a full replacement for uh, PUBG, but it's definitely it's definitely a lot of fun. It's definitely a lot more approachable too, and definitely doesn't have like a lot of the jankiness that that PUBG definitely has. Um, and I personally kind of want to see. I I it's not it's not possible for me to do, but I would have liked to have seen how I felt about this game coming into it, having never played. PUBG must was having played 400 hours of it. Um, right, right, right. <laughs> I think, yeah. Um, I find myself being not as kind of crazily enthused by it, but that might just be kind of like general fatigue of the of the type since I've been playing PUBG for so long. Um, uh, things don't seem to be as tense towards the end and i don't and again I, I can't tell if that's me or if it's just kind of like something that's fundamentally different about the game i'll let you know if i figure that out um uh, the other the other part of that is there's multiplayer and zombies i'm not a big fan of zombies i'm just not a fan of horde shooters um in general i try and like you know it just doesn't really usually pan out for me um but i've been playing a bunch of the multiplayer and it's classic call of duty running gun fun i'm not very good but i'm having a lot of fun it's kind of really nailed that um the progression thing where like um you know uh, your guns level up you level up and there's always something more to be be pushing towards um and to be working on and uh, that kind of thing really feels good um and uh you've got a lot of customization available uh and so you know it's, it's, it's just good fun you've got your your guns and your class and you've also got an operator which has like they've they've done this thing where they've kind of taken pieces that have um like all the best kind of things from the genre like there's a little bit of hero shooter elements that you pick a character that gets a piece of gear and an ultimate ability, and they're all kind of differently balanced against each other. Um, and you can override the gear piece with one of your with your class if you want. Um, and uh, uh, you also get like a lot of the uh, a lot of the uh, uh, evolutions on like the you know uh, healing instead of healing instantly instead of healing like you do normally in previously in COD games where you you know you'll you uh, you wait a little while and it heals back up automatically. You have a heal like a a uh, uh, basically a healing vial on a cooldown, and when you use it, you heal up to full in much the same way as you did in the previous COD. But um, there's a little bit of time between when you can do that back to back. So um, it still has a lot of that same COD feel, but. It's also, if you're constantly getting to engage it, you can't just disengage for a couple of seconds multiple times. You only do that, like, once or twice. Um, but it's but it's a ton of fun, right? Like, um, uh, I'm, like, I've, I've been playing with uh, Friends of the Cast, Nick, Monica, and X um, all day today. Um, and it's been great. Uh, you know, <laughs> Are you going to go back to it after this? <laughs> probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, while we were recording, Monica asked me if I was done yet. Um, 
Uh, so yeah, uh, that's that's been that's been my week really. That's interesting. That's really interesting, actually. Um, makes me want to play. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, it's it's I've, always tough with games like this because it's like sixty bucks, and I guess I got it out of PUBG like over time or whatever. But I yeah. do look at you know, Vermintide Two, which I played yeah, for yeah. four hours. <laughs> um, a little bit like side eyed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to. Do. I don't know what to tell you. Um, but I guess that's. Uh, I guess that's the the long and the short of it. Uh, yeah. Do you have anything else? I don't think I have anything else. Um, but if you guys at home want to tell us what you think of any of the things we talked about that we're hype about, any of the things that we talked about that we're playing right now, you can. Uh, Email us at podcast at some dot com or some games at gmail.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash some derpsplaygames. Um, although we haven't done anything in a while, maybe soon. Um, and uh, what else? You can follow us on YouTube. I've been posting these casts to YouTube. If you'd prefer this in, in video form uh, with like a waveform of the audio plastered over it. Um, and uh, you, could, you should rate and review us on iTunes. Give us ratings because that's the thing that apparently helps us. Um, even if you don't listen to this through iTunes, most most uh, podcast players like source their stuff, like source their rankings through iTunes. So do that, please. Um, I think that's everything I had. Buddy, do you have anything else you want to promote? I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.